Let's pray. Father, we thank you that your word is sure and true. We thank you that it stands forever and that we might find grace in the time of our need, even today. So Lord, speak to us through your word. Transform us and make us look more and more like Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen. Are you saved? Do you know the salvation that is offered in the gospel of Jesus Christ? It's an important question to get right. Perhaps there's no greater question to be able to answer in the affirmative. But unfortunately, I believe that many Christians have adopted a one-and-done attitude towards their salvation in Christ. Once I've confessed my sin, repented, and made my public profession of faith, confirming my baptism, if you will, somehow that box gets checked and I can move on from there. And and in one sense, when Christ saves his people, there is a completeness to that salvation in terms of my standing before God. That's true. For the believer, however, salvation is not something to be filed away for safekeeping until judgment day. But rather, it is to be savored and enjoyed every moment of the journey. Too many of us live defeatist lives waiting for that day when God will call us home. But remember Jesus said that he came to give us abundant life now. In this familiar biblical hymn that many of us love, David, someone well acquainted with sin and suffering, invites us to interact with our salvation, a salvation that generates faith that offers us rest, that embraces intimacy with God and assures us of a future hope. Far from being one and done, salvation is a lifelong calling to find in Christ our all in all. I love the line in the old gospel song that sings, I love to tell the story For those who know it best seem hungering and thirsting to hear it like the rest. And when in scenes of glory I sing the old, old song, the new, new song, it will be the old, old story that I have loved so long. The songwriter understood well that the gospel is not merely an historic event in our lives, but rather something that we need to be reminded of over and over again a transformative process that we live out every moment we have on this earth and something that we will savor and enjoy for all of eternity. For the Christian, the gospel, our salvation, is for the soul what air is to the lungs, blood to the heart, and food for the stomach. It is necessary. In the opening verses of the psalm, David shows us that God's salvation generates faith. Right out of the gate, he fires off three attributes of God that give the believer confidence in the most dire of circumstances. John Stott says that the Lord is my light to guide me, my salvation to deliver me, and the stronghold of my life 
in whom I take refuge. This is a beautiful picture of who God is as it relates to our living under his grace. And having that right understanding replaces fear with confidence. According to James Montgomery Boyce, this is the only verse in the Old Testament that directly refers to God as light. Of course, in the New Testament, Jesus reveals himself as the light of the world. And in 1 John chapter 1, we read that this is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. I don't know about you, but for me, there's nothing that magnifies fear quite like darkness. When we're in the darkness, we cannot see what's going on around us. It's confusing and scary. Trying to operate in physical darkness is scary enough, but when spiritual darkness is all around you, well, that's really something to be terrified about. People attacking you from the outside with gossip and slander and the darkness of secrecy or the terror of a personal besetting sin in the dark corners of your heart that nobody else can see. Is there anything scarier than hearts full of wickedness shrouded in darkness, whether your own or one who is against you? The Christian you don't need to fear the dark. For God is light. And in him, there is no darkness at all. Savor and enjoy the sunshine of God, for he is with you and will guide you into the light of his grace. And this is true whether the darkness is coming upon you from the outside or from the enemy within. As God shines the light of his grace upon sin and evil, it is a sign of his justice, his righteousness, and his love. Do not be afraid. God is your light, your salvation, and the stronghold of your life. You can be confident in the face of darkness. David's confidence in the Lord, however, wasn't present because his challenges went away. His confidence was there in the middle of his challenges. David had no fantasy of bypassing the hardships that were before him. He was at war. The enemy was at the gate. His confidence was that in the Lord, the final outcome was sure. The Lord would be his light through the storm, his salvation from the forces of evil, and a stronghold against utter destruction. None of us want to go through suffering or difficulties. Many in our congregation are in the throes of battle right now, today. But I suspect the fear that we experience in these times isn't just about the immediate circumstances of our suffering, but rather the thought that in these sufferings and trials, we might be forsaken, for that would be unbearable. And this is the security our God offers his people the confidence that David had, not escape from the battle at hand, 
but victory over it and through it in Christ. Instead of being frozen and stuck in our fear, God's salvation generates the faith to believe and move forward in confidence. Secondly, God's salvation offers us rest. Reading in verse four, one thing have I asked of the Lord and that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. David shows here a singleness of mind. One thing above all else was important to him, being in God's presence. David knew that in the calamity and chaos of his life, that it would be there in worship that he could find rest. In his categorization of the Psalms, O. Palmer Robertson says that Psalm 27 is in a group of seven dwelling place psalms, numbers 26 through 32. Take a look back at the passage and notice the references and emphases that concern God's dwelling place. David expresses his desire to dwell in the house of the Lord, to see his beauty and to learn of him in his temple, a place of worship. He seeks God's shelter in the day of his trouble, a place of protection, like a weary pilgrim on a long journey. He seeks refuge in God's tent, the tabernacle. The man after God's own heart wanted to worship God where God's presence was, for he understood that that was the place of peace in the storms of life. That would be his sanctuary. This singleness of mind to commune with the Lord reminds me of the story of Mary and Martha and Jesus. We have the account in chapter 10 of the gospel according to Luke. Now as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house and she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. But one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion which will not be taken away from her. Mary, like King David before her, had chosen the one necessary thing, to sit at the feet of her Savior and worship gazing at his beauty and inquiring of him the words of life. I think in the past I've blown right by this full description that Jesus gives of Mary's sister. Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. Mary wasn't just busy serving Jesus. Martha wasn't just busy serving Jesus. Martha was afraid and disturbed, and right there in her presence was the one who was her peace. We're very easily distracted, aren't we? Today in our society, we fill our lives with distraction. We avoid relationships, intimacy. We avoid being with the Lord that we might see reflection of our own hearts. 
We have lots of little devices to keep us distracted and entertained. We keep ourselves very busy so that we don't have to, like Mary, sit at the feet of Jesus and interact on a heart level. Are you so afraid and troubled that you've lost sight of the needful thing? Are you purposefully distracting yourself with busyness so you don't have to address the issues of the heart? Sometimes it's just easier to busy ourselves with distraction rather than sit with Jesus in the light of his love, isn't it? But remember, only he has the power to command the stormy waves of your life, peace be still. One thing have I asked of the Lord, and that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. Often in our struggles with sin and when the horrible effects of our fallen world come crashing against us, we neglect the needful thing. We avoid gathering with God's people in worship. We set aside our Bibles in times of prayer thinking, we can't do it. It feels too disingenuous. It's too hard. Of course, these are the times that we need to be with Jesus in our worship the most. So what's going on in your life and in our world that is distracting you from this singleness of mind? Stop. Gaze on Jesus and worship him. God's salvation offers rest in his presence. Thirdly, God's salvation embraces intimacy. David continues in this singular focus of wanting to live in the presence of the one who was his salvation. To this point, have you noticed that he has referenced God in the third person, telling what he knows about God? But from here forward, he addresses God directly in the second person. David seeks intimacy with God. He calls out to the Lord audibly as a child would in the dark of night to a parent in the next room. He demands an answer. He will be heard. He speaks God's own words back to him as if to remind him of his covenant promises. When I read this, it almost seems to me as though David might have the ironic blessing in his mind as he speaks to God. Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud. Be gracious to me and answer me. You have said, seek my face. My heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. Hide not your face from me. The benediction is the answer to his prayer, is it not? The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Oh, Christian, are you, are, are we, as desperate for intimacy with God as David was? Are you crying out, hide not your face from me, Turn not your servant away in anger, O you who have been my help. Cast me not off. Forsake me not, O God of my salvation. If not, 
it's likely that you have forgotten how desperate and needy you are. God knows we are forgetful people. If you are complacent in your relationship with Christ, ask him to reveal to you your desperate need of a salvation once again. However, if you do find yourself calling out to the Lord, then I have good news for you. Your salvation embraces intimacy with your Savior. What a privilege is ours. How much more we can behold the face of the Lord in his revealed word than King David even could. The Lord has given us all we need in his word, and he desires for you to bear your soul to him in prayer. So echo David's words with your own. Your face, Lord, do I seek. Hide not your face from me. There's so much beauty and wonder to behold. An inexhaustible treasure of riches in Christ is ours for the taking. In his desperation, David declares that even his father and mother have forsaken him. Could there be any greater rejection on earth than this? Usually when you have been rejected by a spouse or a sibling or a close, dear loved one, at least your parents are there to help you pick up the pieces. But for David, they were all gone. He was rejected and completely alone. And yet he was able to conclude the verse with a brief confident assurance the Lord will take me in what a wonderful statement this is for us spiritual outcasts fast bound in sin and nature's night as Wesley puts it Jesus stands ready to take us in unlovable spiritual orphans that we are God gathers his children under his wing like a mother hen protects her chicks in times of storm. Remember Jesus' words, I will never leave you or forsake you. If you are in Christ today, you will never be forsaken by the lover of your soul. And finally, God's salvation assures us of hope. Derek Kidner says of verse 11 that David is very much in the world and the prayer for a level path is not for comfort but for sure progress when the merest slip would be exploited by his enemies. More often than not, God doesn't provide an immediate escape from the trials of life for us. Rather, he provides a way through most of us have experienced receiving a, a shot of medicine at some point in our lives. Many are lining up for one right now. When we're children, we can't think of anything worse than going to the doctor and getting the dreaded shot. I remember thinking my pediatrician's nurse must be the meanest woman on the planet simply because she was the one who had to administer it. In our immaturity, we would give anything to not be poked in that way and we can't imagine the pain will be worth it. We scream, we cry, we throw tantrums and can't believe our parents would betray us in such a horrible way. But as we age and mature, we begin to understand that there's a trade-off. 
Sometimes in life, you must endure a little pain or discomfort to achieve a desired end. So you just take it. Pain is still there. We just put it in a different context when we grow up. David had grown up a lot in God's school of suffering. He had a spiritually mature outlook on the hardships of his life. But far from just resigning himself to it in a fatalistic way, he understood that God's salvation assured him of a future hope. And in the end, it would all be worth it. I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord, be strong, and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. He had the confidence that the Lord would respond to his pleas and be faithful. And David is sure that God will answer, not just in the afterlife, but in the land of the living, in the here and now. Yet his assurance comes with a qualifier. God doesn't always answer our pleas and our timing, or as quickly as we would like it. And so we must wait. But we do not wait passively. We wait in strength and in courage, not in a strength or courage mustered up within ourselves as we pull up our proverbial bootstraps and grin and bear it, but strength and courage forged in the suffering and perfection of Christ who went before us. For the salvation that assures our hope produces patience in God's people, and there are no shortcuts in the pursuit of patience and peace. Our restless, self-determined, rebellious spirits must be bridled and tamed by the sanctifying work of the Spirit in our lives. It's not an easy path, but it is a sure path, a path already walked by our elder brother, Jesus. I have an older brother, three years older, Three years between siblings is just enough that you have no hope of defeating them, and yet you have to live out your growing up years with them. It took me a very long time to have any sense of appreciation in having an older brother. In our younger years, I didn't think it was so great. But as I aged, I began to realize that it was actually a really good thing. He went before me, and I was able to watch and learn. I watched him navigate the parent-child relationship, going off to school for the first time, getting a first job, dating girls, handling bullies, some of whom he would handle for me. He went off to college first, and since I followed him, I didn't have to deal with not knowing anyone or being homesick. Marriage, having kids, on and on. It was pretty good to have a big brother. Of course, any illustration on a human level like this is flawed at best and doesn't quite encapsulate the whole picture. But if you are one of God's children, you have a spiritual elder brother, one who went before you, one who paved the way to heaven for you. Your elder brother, Jesus, lived a perfect life for you, a life you had no hope of living. He was forsaken so that you would never be he walked through hell taking on the punishment that was coming your way that you deserved, and he didn't. 
He tasted death so you never would. He conquered the grave with resurrection so that you might live too. And now he sits at the right hand of our Father, talking to him continuously about his love for you now and forever. Do you know this Jesus that I'm speaking of? Is he your brother? There's room in the family for you. His life, death, and resurrection are sufficient for your salvation. Turn from your sin and come to him in faith. Trust him to save you and to be the king who rules on the throne of your heart. Confess him as Lord and Savior and be saved. And if he is your brother, the gospel is for you too. The Lord is your light, your salvation, and the stronghold of your life. Of whom, of what, will you be afraid? Surely in these dark and difficult days, we see the futility of finding our salvation in any other person or thing under heaven. Haven't we finally tired of chasing after other saviors? I trust that we have. Some of you are experiencing dire times right now. You're feeling the immense weight of this fallen world that we live in. Lay hold of the mercy seat with a firm grip. Cry out to the Savior in ceaseless prayer and praise until he satisfies the longing of your heart. Be relentless. You will look upon the goodness of the Lord again. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. Savor and enjoy God's salvation for you. It is a salvation that generates faith, offers rest, embraces intimacy with God, and assures us of our future hope. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we rejoice in so great a salvation that we have in Christ Jesus. We thank you that we are not spiritual orphans, that we are your children because of what our brother Christ has done on our behalf. Help us, Lord, to reflect the light that you are in this dark and cruel world. May others come to know this love and light as a result of the bond of Christ that we have for one another and as a result of the new song that you've implanted in our hearts. May many see it in fear and trust in the Lord. We ask in Christ's name, amen.